0: Welcome to the Myth, Legend and Lore podcast. Welcome to part two of The Sag of the Volsungs, from the book The Children of Odin by Patrick Cullum. It's an old favourite of mine and a book whose tales I'd like to share with you. In part one, we were introduced to our hero Sigurd, the death of his father Sigmund in battle and the marriage of his mother Hjordas to King Alf. We heard how Sigurd, under the instruction of the treacherous Regan, reforges Gram, the sword of his forefathers and successfully battles with King the slayer of his father. Finally, we heard how Sigurd slayed the dragon Fafnir, who had once been Regan's brother and was also the guardian of a great hold of gourd that Regan lusted after. Sigurd tasted the blood of Fafnir and so could hear the secret words of birdsong. The birds spoke of a hall where a brave and beautiful maiden slept, surrounded by a ring of fire. And Sigurd killed Regan, who tried to murder him with a spear. And so, the tale continues... The Story of Sigmund and Signy Sigurd called to Granny, his proud horse. He stood up on a mound in the heath and he sent forth a great shout. And Granny heard in the cave where Regan had left him and came galloping to Sigurd with flowing mane and eyes flashing fire. He mounted Granny and he rode to Fafnir's cave. When he went into the place where the dragon was wont to lie, he saw a door of iron before him. With Gram, his mighty sword, he hewed through the iron, and with his strong hands he pulled the door back. Then, before him he saw the treasure the dragon guarded, masses of gold and heaps of shining jewels. But as he looked on the hoard, Sigurd felt some shadow of the evil that lay over it all. This was the hoard that in the far-off days the river maidens watched over as it lay deep under the flowing water. Then Andvari the dwarf forced the river maidens to give it to him, and Loki had taken it from Andvari, letting loose as he did Gulvi the witch, who had such evil power over the gods. For the sake of the hoard, Fafnir had slain Hreidmar his father, and Regan had plotted death against Fafnir, his brother. Not all this history did Sigurd know, but a shadow of his evil touched his spirit as he stood there before the gleaming and glittering heap. He would take all of it away, but not now. The tale that the birds told was in his mind, and the green of the forest was more to him than the glitter of the treasure heap. He would come back with chests and load it up and carry it to King Alf's Hall, but first he would take such things as he himself might wear. He found a helmet of gold and he put it on his head. He found a great arm ring and put it around his arm. On top of the arm ring, there was a small finger ring with a rune engraved upon it. Sigurd put it on his finger. And this was the ring that Andvari the dwarf had put a curse upon when Loki had taken the hoard from him. Sigurd knew that no one would cross the heath and come to Fafnir's lair, so he did not fear to leave the treasure unguarded. He mounted Granny, his proud horse, and rode toward the forest. He would seek the house of flame where she lay sleeping, the maiden who was the wisest and bravest and most beautiful in the world. With his golden helmet shining above his golden hair, Sigurd rode on. As he rode toward the forest he thought of Sigmund, his father, whose slaying he had avenged, and he thought of Sigmund's father, Balsung, and of the grim deeds that the Volsungs had suffered and wrought. Rerir, the son of Siggi, who was the son of Odin, was the father of Volsung. And Volsung when he was in his first manhood, had built his hall around a mighty tree. Its branches went up to the roof and made the beams of the house, and his great trunk was the centre of the hall. The brandstock, the tree was called, and Volsung Hall was named the Hall of the Brandstock. Many children had Volsung, eleven sons and one daughter. Strong were all his sons and good fighters, and the volsung of the Hall of the Brandstock was a mighty chief. It was through Signy, the daughter of the house, that a feud and a deadly battle was brought to Volsung and his sons. She was a wise and fair maiden, and her fame went through all the lands. Now one day Volsung received a message from a king asking for the hand of Signy in marriage. And Volsung, who knew of this king, through report of his battle, sent a message to him saying, that he would be welcome to the hall of Branstock. So King Siggeir came with his men, but when the Balsungs looked into his face, they liked it not, and Signe shrank away, saying, "This king is evil of heart and false of word." Bolsung and his eleven sons took counsel together. Sigir had a great force of men with him, and if they refused to give her, he could slay them all and harry their kingdom. Besides. They had pledged themselves to give Signy when they had sent message of welcome. Long counsel they had together, and ten of Signy's brothers said, Let Signy wed the king. He is not as evil as he seems in her mind. Ten of the brothers said it, but one spoke out, saying, We will not give our sister to this evil king. Rather let us all go down fighting with the Hall of Branstock flaming above our heads. It was Sigmund, the youngest of the Volsungs, who had said this. But Signy's father said, We know not of the evil of King Sigir. Also our word is given to him. Let him feast with us this night in the hall of Branstock, and let Signy go from us to be with him as his wife. They all looked to her, and they saw Signy's face, and it was white and stern. Let it be as you have said, my father and my brothers. She said, I will wed King Sigir, and I will go with him overseas. So she said aloud. The Sigmund heard her say to herself, It is woe for the Volsungs. A feast was made, and King Sigir and his men came to the hall of Branstock. Fires were lighted, and tables were spread, and great horns of mead went around to the guests. In the middle of the feasting, a stranger entered the hall. He was taller than the tallest there, and his bearing made all do him reverence. One offered him a horn of mead, and he drank it. Then, from under the blue cloak that he wore, he drew a sword that made the brightness of the hall more bright. He went to the tree that the hall was built around, to the brandstock, and he thrust the sword into it. All the company were hushed. Then they heard the voice of the stranger a voice that was like the trumpet's call. The sword is for the hand who can draw it out of the brown stock. Then he went out of the hall. All looked to where the sword was placed and saw a hand's breadth of wonderful brightness. This one and that one would have laid hands on the hilt. Only Volsung's voice bade them stand still. It is meat, he said. That our guest and our son-in-law, King Siggeir, should be the first to put hands on its hilt and try to draw the sword of the stranger out of the branstock. King Sigir went to the tree and laid his hands on the broad hilt. He strove hard to draw out the sword, but all his might could not move it. As he strained himself to draw it and failed, a dark look of anger came into his face. Then others tried to draw it, the captains who were with King Sigir, and they too failed to move the blade. Then Volsung tried, and Volsung could not move it. One after the other, his eleven sons strained to draw out the stranger's sword. At last, it came to the turn of the youngest, to Sigmund try. And when Sigmund laid his hands on the broad hilt and drew it, behold, the sword came with his hand, and once again the hall was brightened with its marvelous brightness. It was a wondrous sword. A sword made out of better metal, and by smiths more cunning than any known. All envied Sigmund that he had won for himself this wondrous weapon. King Sigur looked on it with greedy eyes. I'll give you its weight in gold for that sword, good brother, he said. But Sigmund said to him proudly, If the sword was meant for your hand, then you would have won it. The sword was not meant for you, but for a Volsung's hand. And Signy, looking at King Siggeir, saw a look of deeper evil come into his face. She knew that hatred for all the Volsung race was in his heart. But at the end of the feast she was wed to King Siggeir, and the next day she left the hall of the Branstock and went with him down to where his great painted ship was drawn up on the beach. And when they were parting from her, her fathers and her brothers, King Siggeir invited them to come to his country, his friends visiting friends and kinsmen visiting kin- kinsmen, and look upon Signy again. And he stood on the beach and would not go to board his ship until each and all of the Balslings gave their word that they would visit Signy and him in his own land. And when you come, he said to Sigmund, be sure to bring that mighty sword you won. All of this was thought of by Sigurd, the son of Sigmund, as he rode towards the fringe of the forest. The time came for Volsung and his sons to redeem the promise they made to King Sigir. They made ready their ship and they sailed from the land where stood the Hall of the Brandstock. They landed on the coast of King Sigir's country and they drew their ship up on the beach and they made their camp there, intending to come to the King's Hall in the broad light of day. But in the half light of the dawn, one came to the Volsung ship. A cloak and a hood covered the figure. But Sigmund, who was the watcher, knew who it was. Signy, he said. And Signy asked that her father and her brothers be awakened until she would speak to them of a treason that was brewed against them. King Siggeir has made ready a great army against your coming, she told them. He hates the Volsungs, the branch as well as the root. And it is his plan to fall upon you, my fathers and brothers, with his great army and slay you all. And he would possess himself of Gram, Sigmund's wonder sword. Therefore, I say to you, O Volsungs, draw your ship into the sea and sail from the land where such treachery can be. But Volsung, her father, would not listen. The Volsungs do not depart like broken men from a the land they have brought their ship to. He said, "We gave each and all the words that we would visit King Sigir, and visit him we will." And if he is a dastard and would fall upon us, why, we are the unbeaten Volsungs, and we will fight against him and his army and slay him, and bear you back to us with the hall of Branstock. The day widens now, and we will go to the hall. Signy would have spoken of the great army King Sigir had gathered, but she knew that the Volsungs never heartened to talk of odds. She spoke no more, but bowed her head and went back to King Sigir's hall. Sigur knew that Signy had been to warn her father and brothers. He called men he had gathered and posted them cunningly in the way the Volsungs would come. Then he sent one ship with a message of welcome. As they left their ship, the army of King Siggeir fell upon the Volsungs and their followers. Very fierce was the battle that waged on the beach, and many and many a one of King Sigur's fierce fighters went down before the fearless ones that made the Volsungs' company. But at last Volsung himself was slain, and his eleven sons were taken captive, and Gram, his mighty sword, was taken out of Sigmund's hands. They were brought before King Sigurd in his hall, the eleven Volsung princes. Sigurd laughed to see them before him. You are not in the hall of the Branstock now, to dishonour me with black looks and scornful words. A harder task will be given you than drawing a sword out of a tree trunk he said. Before the setting of the sun, I will see you hewn into pieces with the sword. Then Signy who was there, stood up with her white face and her wide eyes and said, I will not pray for the life of my brothers, for I know my prayers will avail them not. But here is a proverb, Sigir. Sweet to the eye, as long as the eye can see. And Sigir laughed his evil laugh when he heard her. Aye, my queen, he said. Sweet to the eye, as long as the eye may see their torments. They shall not die at once, nor altogether. I will let them see each other die. So Sigir gave a new order to his dastard troops. The order was that the eleven brothers should be taken into the depths of the forest and chained to great beams and left there. This was done with the eleven sons of Volsung. The next day, one who had watched and one who was faithful to Signy came, and Signy said to him, what is befalling my brothers? And the Watcher said, A great wolf came to where the chained men are, and fell upon the first of them, and devoured him. When Sidney heard this, no tears came from her eyes, but that which was hard around her heart became harder. She said, Go again, and watch what befalls. And the Watcher came a second time, and said, The second of your brothers has been devoured by the wolf. Signe shed no tears this time either, and again that which was hard around her heart became harder. And every day the watcher came, and he told her what had befallen her brothers. And it came to the time when but one of her brothers was left alive, Sigmund, the youngest. Then Signe said, not without device are we left at the end. I have thought of what has to be done. Take a pot of honey to where he is chained, and smear Sigmund's face with the honey. And the watcher did as Sigmund bade him. Again, the great wolf came along the forest ways, to where Sigmund was chained. When she snuffed over him and found the honey upon his face, she put down her tongue to lick over his face. Then, with his strong teeth, Sigmund seized the tongue of the wolf. She fought and she struggled with all her might, but Sigmund did not let go of the tongue. The struggle with the beast broke the beam to which he was chained. Then Sigmund seized the wolf with his hands and tore her jaws apart. The watcher saw this happening and told of it to Signy. A fierce joy went through her and she said, One of the Volsungs lives, and vengeance will be wrought upon King Siggeir and upon his house. Still the watcher stayed in the ways of the forest, and he marked where Sigmund built for himself a hidden hut. Often he bore tokens from Signy to Sigmund. Sigmund took to the ways of the hunter and the outlaw, but he did not forsake the forest. And King Sigurd knew not that one of the Valsungs lived and was near him. The Story of Sigmund and Sinfiotli As Sigurd rode the ways of the forest, he thought upon Sigmund, his father, on his life and his death, according to what Jordis, his mother, had told him. Sigmund lived for the long life of the hunter and the outlaw, but he never strayed far from the forest that was in King Siggeir's dominion. Often did he get a token from Signy. They too, the last of the Volsungs, knew that King Siggeir and his house would have to perish for the treason he had wrought on their father and their brothers. Sigmund knew that his sister would send her son to help him. One morning, there came to his hut a boy of ten years. He knew that this was one of Sigmund's sons, and that she would have him train him into being a warrior worthy of the balsam breed. Sigmund hardly looked and hardly spoke to the lad. He was going hunting, and as he took down his spear from the wall, he said, There is a meal bag, boy. Mix the meal and make the bread, and we will eat it when I come back. When he returned, the bread was unmade, and the boy was standing watching the meal bag with widened eyes. He did not make the bread, Sigmund said. No, said the boy. I was afraid to go near it. Something stirred within it. You have the heart of a mouse to be so frightened. Go back to your mother and tell her there's not enough in you for the stuff of a Volsung warrior. So Sigmund spoke and sent the boy away weeping. A year later, and another son of Sigmund's came. As before, Sigmund hardly looked and hardly spoke to the boy. And then one day he said, There's the meal bag. Mix the meal, make the ready, the bread, by the time I return. When Sigmund came back and the bread was unmade, he found that the boy had shrunk away from where the bag was. You have not made the bread, Sigmund said. No, said the boy. Something stirred in the bag, and I was afraid of it. You have the heart of a mouse. Go back to your mother and tell her there's not enough of the stuff in you to make a Volsung warrior. And this boy, like his brother, went back weeping. At that time, Signy had no other sons, but at last one was born to her, the child of a desperate thought. Him too, when he was grown, she sent to Sigmund. What did your mother say to you? Sigmund said to the boy when he showed himself at the hut. Nothing. She sewed my gloves to my hands and then bade me to pull them off. And did you? Yes, and the skin came with them. And did you weep? Volsung does not weep for such a thing. Long did Sigmund look on the lad. He was tall and fair and great limbed, and his eyes had no fear in them. What will you have me do for you? said the lad. There is the meal bag, Sigmund said. Mix the meal and make the bread for me by the time I return. When Sigmund came back, the bread was baking on the coals. What did you do with the meal? Sigmund asked. I mixed it. Something was in the meal. A serpent, I think. But I needed it into the meal and now the serpent is baking on the coals. Sigmund laughed and threw his arms around the boy. You will not eat of that bread, he said. The boy's name was Sinfiotli. Sigmund trained him in the ways of the hunter and the outlaw. Here and there they went, taking vengeance on Kensigir's men. The boy was fierce. But never did he speak a word that was false. One day, when Sigmund and Sinfiotli were hunting, they came upon a strange house in the dark wood. When they went within, they found two men lying there sleeping, a deep sleep. On their arms were heavy rings of gold, and Sigmund knew that they were the sons of kings. And beside the sleeping men, he saw wolf skins, left there as though they had been cast off. Then Sigmund knew that these men were shape-changers. They were the ones who changed their shapes and ranged through the forests as wolves. Sigmund and Sinfiotli put on the skins that the men had cast off, and when they did this, they changed their shapes and became as wolves. And as wolves, they ranged through the forest, now and then changing their shapes back to those of men. As wolves, they fell upon King Sigir's men and slew more and more of them. One day, Sigmund said to Sinfiotli, You are still young, and I'll not have you be too rash. If you come upon the company of seven men, fight them. But if you come upon a company greater than seven, raise up thy voice as a wolf's cry, and bring me to your side. Sinfiotli promised that he would do this. One day, as he went through the forest in his wolf's shape, Sigmund heard the din of a struggle, and he stopped to listen for Sinfiotli's call. But no call came. Then Sigmund went through the forest in the direction of the struggle. On his way he passed the bodies of eleven slain men, and he came upon Sinfiotli lying in a thicket, his wolf shape upon him, and panting from the battle that he had waged. He did strive with eleven men. Why didn't you call for me? Sigmund said. Why should I have called for you? I am not so feeble that I can't strive with eleven men. Sigmund was made angry with this answer. He looked on Sinfiotli where he lay, and the wicked wolf's nature that was in the skin had come over him. He sprang upon him, sinking his teeth into St. Fiotli's throat. St. Fiotli lay there, gasping in the throes of death, and Sigmund, knowing that the deadly grip that was in those jaws of his, howled in anguish. Then, as he licked the face of his comrade, he saw two weasels meet. They began to fight with one another, and the first caught the second at the throat, and bit him with his teeth, and laid him out as if in death. Sigmund marked the combat, and the end of it. But then the first weasel ran and found leaves of a certain herb, and he put them on his comrade's wound. And the herb cured the wound, and the weasel that was bitten rose up and was sound and swift again. Sigmund went searching for the herb he saw the weasel carry to his comrade, and as he sought for it, he saw a raven with a leaf in her beak. She dropped the leaf as he came to her, and behold, it was the same leaf as the weasel had brought to his comrade. Sigmund took it and laid it on the wind he had made in Sinfiotli's throat, and the wind was healed, and Sinfiotli was sound once more. They went back to their huts in the forest, and the next day they burnt the wolfskins, and they prayed the gods that they may never be afflicted with wolf's evil nature again. And Sigmund and Sinfiotli never afterwards changed their shapes. The story of the vengeance of the songs and the death of Sinfiotli. And now Sinfiotli had come to his full strength, and it was time to take vengeance on King Sigir for the slaying of the Volsung, and the dread doom he had set for the Volsung's ten sons. Sigmund and Sinfiotli put their helmets on their heads, and took swords in their hands, and went to King Sigir's hall. They hid behind the casks of ale that were at the entrance, and they waited for the men at arms to leave the hall, that they might fall upon King Sigir, and his attendants. The younger children of King Sigir were playing in the hall, and one let fall a ball. It went rolling behind the casks of ale, and the child peering after the ball saw two men crouching with swords in their hands and helmets on their heads. The child told the servant, who told the king. Then Sigir rose, and he drew the men-at-arms around him, and he set them upon the men who were hiding behind the barrels. Sigmund and Sinfiotli sprang up and fought against the men of King Sigir, but they were taken as captives. Now they may not be slain there and then, for it was unlawful to slay captives after sunset. But for all that, King Sigir would not have them leave above ground. He decreed that they should be put in a pit and a mound made over them, so that they would be buried alive. The sentence was carried out. A great flagstone was put down to divide the pit in two, so that Sigmund and Sinfiotli might hear one another's struggle and not be able to give help to the other. All was done as the king commanded. But while his thralls were putting sods over the pit, one came amongst them, cloaked and hooded, and dropped something wrapped in straw into the side of the pit where Sinfiotli lay. And when the sky was shut out from them with the turf and soil that was put over the pit, Sinfiotli shouted to Sigmund, I shall not die, for the queen has thrown down meat to me, Wrapped in a parcel of straw. And a while afterwards, Sinfiotli shouted to Sigmund, The Queen has left a sword in the meat, but she has flown down to me. It is a mighty sword. Almost I think it is Gram, the sword you told me of. If it be Gram, Sigmund said, it is a sword that can cut through this flagstone. Thrust the blade against the stone and try. Sinfiotli thrust the blade against the stone, and the blade went through it. Then, one on each side, they took hold of the sword and they cut the great stone in two. Afterwards, working together, it was easy to shift the turf and soil. The two came out under the sky. Before them was the hall of King Sigir. They came to the hall and they set dry wood before it, and they fired the woods and made the hall blaze up. And when the hall was in a blaze, King Sigir came to the door and shouted, Who is it that's fired the house of the king? And Sigmund said, I, Sigmund, the son of Volsung, that you might pay for the treason wrought in the Volsungs. Seeing Sigmund there with Graham, the great sword, in his hands, Sigur went back into his hall. Then Signy was seen with her white face and stern eyes, and Sigmund called to her. Come forth, come forth, Sigmund calls. Come out of Sigur's blazing house, and together we'll go back to the hall of the Branstock. But Signy said, all is finished now. The vengeance is wrought, and I have no more to keep me in life. The Volsung race lives on you, my brother, and that is my joy. Not merrily did I wed King Sigir, and not merrily did I live with him, but merrily will I die with him now. She went within the hall, then the flames burst over it, and all who were within perished. Thus the vengeance of the Volsungs was wrought, and Sigir thought on the deed that Sigmund, his father, and Sinfiotli, the youth who was his father's kinsman, wrought, as he rode the ways of the forest, and of the things that thereafter befell them. Sigmund and Sinfiotli left King Siggeir's land, and came back to the land where the hall of the Branstock was. Sigmund became a great king, and Sinfiotli was the captain of his host. And the story of Sigmund and Sinfiotli goes on to tell how Sigmund wed a woman whose name was Borkhild, and how Sinfiotli loved women, who was loved by Borghild's brother. A battle came in which the youths were on opposite sides, and Sinfiotli killed Borghild's brother, and it was in fair combat. Sinfiotli returned home. To make peace between him and the Queen, Sigmund gave Borghild a great measure of gold as compensation for the loss of her brother. The Queen took it and said, Lo, my brother's worth is reckoned at this. Let no more be said about his slaying and she made Sinfiotli welcome in the hall of the Branstock. But although she showed herself as friendly to him, her heart was set upon his destruction. That night there was a feast in the hall of Branstock, and Borghild, the queen, went to all the guests with a horn of meat in her hand. She came to Sinfiotli, and she held the horn to him. "'Take this from my hands, O friend of Sigmund,' she said. But Sinfiotli saw what was in her eyes, and said, I will not drink from this horn. There is venom in the drink. Then, to end the mockery that the Queen would have made over Sinfiotli, Sigmund, who was standing by, took the horn out of Borgild's hand. No venom or poison could injure him. He raised the horn to his lips and drank the mead. Then the Queen said to Sinfiotli, Must other men quaff their drink for you? Later in the night she came to him again, the horn of mead in her hand. She offered it to Sinfiotli, but he looked her in the eyes and he saw that hatred was there. Venom is in that drink, he said. I will not take it. And again, Sigmund took the horn and drank the mead. And again, the queen mocked Sinfiotli. A third time she came to him. Before she offered the horn, she said, This is the one who fears to take his drink like a man. What a balsung heart he has. Sinfiotli saw the hatred in her eyes and her mockery could not make him take the mead from her. As before, Sigmund was standing by. But now he was weary of raising the horn, and he said to Sinfiotli, "'Pour the drink through your beard.' He thought that Sigmund meant he should pour the mead through his lips that were bearded, and make no more trouble between him and the king. But Sigmund did not mean that. He meant that he should pretend to drink, and let the mead run down on the floor. Sinfiotli, not understanding what his comrade meant, took the horn from the queen, raised it to his lips and drank. And as soon as he drank, the venom that was in the drink went to his heart and he fell dead in the hall of the branstock. Oh, woeful was Sigmund, for the death of his kinsman and his comrade. He would let no one touch his body. He himself lifted Sinfiotli in his arms and carried him out of the hall and through the wood and down to the seashore. And when he came to the shore, he saw a boat drawn up and a man therein. Sigmund came near to him, and saw that the man was old and strangely tall. I will take your burden from you, the man said. Sigmund left the body of St Fiotli in the boat, thinking to take a place beside it. But as soon as the body was placed in it, the boat went from the land without sail or oars. Sigmund, looking on the old man who stood at the stern, knew that he was not of mortal men, but was Odin, all father, the giver of the sword Gram. Then Sigmund went back to his hall. His queen died, and in time he wed with Hjordas, who became the mother of Sigurd. And now Sigurd the Bolsung, the son of Sigmund and Hjordas, rode the ways of the forest, the sword Gram by his side, and the golden helmet of the dragon's hoard above his golden hair. Thank you again for joining me for part two of this utterly enthralling saga. I can certainly promise that part three will be just as wonderful as this. As always, please feel completely free to contact me. Um, Gmail is mlegendlore at gmail.com, and on Twitter you'll find me at loremyth. I'm Siobhan Clark, and thank you for listening to the Myth, Legends and Lore podcast.